Welcome to the Vocal Lab. This show aims to pull back the curtain on the entertainment industry and give up-and-coming artists some of the knowledge that veterans wish they'd had when they were just starting out. Sort of a music industry primer, if you will. I could sing before I could talk, and I started working professionally as a singer and voiceover actress at the tender old age of three. Now, I'm a singer, voice, performance, and growth coach. For over 25 years, I've worked with shy hobby singers, super talented artists signed to record labels, working on big screen productions, coming to me from world-renowned producers, and everything in between. I'm Sarah Ramsey, and it's my calling in life to help artists develop their instrument and their craft, while giving themselves permission to become people they love, creating joyful lives and fulfilling careers with their own personal brand of magic. Thanks for joining me today, you guys. We are back with part two of my interview with Michelle Marquardt DeVoe. She is the owner of Faith Culture Kiss Studios and the Speakeasy Cooperative. And uh, she has so much fantastic information to share with us today. Uh, if you listen to the first part of my interview on Monday, you will know how much goodness there is in uh, in Michelle's you know, warehouse of information. And today we're going to talk about artists who are working singers and time management and boundaries as artists and all sorts of really phenomenal things that um, they're important, really, really important concepts to think about when you are an artist, because I think most of us don't start out with that headspace of artists as entrepreneurs or as business owners, but it makes a huge difference. So there's some really important stuff for you to consider in here. So I can't wait for you to listen. Let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about artists who maybe don't have management or a label working for them yet. Um, just more the, the working singer. And there's lots of us who, like, that's how I spent my career. I was never yeah. the the label singer. I was the working singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that singer is working towards a deal, or maybe they just love their life as a working musician. But when you really are just doing it all for yourself, and, you know, so the writers aren't so fancy yet. There's no green M&Ms yet. <laughs> Um, there's, uh, <laughs> there are some challenges you really come up against. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those kind of challenges and how, how to navigate time them? management is the number yeah. one time management. And when I say time, so for listeners who don't know me, cause you know, you know that I harp on this all the time, Sarah, but when I say time, I mean, mental energy and capacity and hours in the day, like it in to me, time yeah. encompasses capacity. Time is the only non-renewable resource. You can always make more money, mm-hmm. but you cannot make more time. So the biggest thing I see is people um, not learning time management and then project management skills. Mm-hmm. So for example... People not having systems around booking gigs, not having templates. I mean, something as simple as like templated emails, templated um, scripts, like they write out scripts about how they could potentially have a conversation with a booking agent or the booking for like a venue, you know, Um, Mm because I'm assuming if they're not labeled yet, we're still doing relatively small gigs under $100,000 gigs, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And then also, if we're just starting out, we're talking about people who are just like trying to get paid at a coffee shop, right? You know, like that kind of thing. So um, if you're still in that place where you're like, I'm just trying to get paid at the coffee shop and the library and, you know, my small town's art festival, (laughs) you know. Yeah, Um, the local pub. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we're there, then it's like, have some scripts. What are the things that you say? Yeah. 
what are the things, how are you going to ask for the gig? How are you going to enter a relationship with that venue? What are the things that you know that you can provide for that venue? Show that you understand the venue side of view. I think a lot of artists don't mm-hmm. actually understand what's at stake for venues. And so they get a little bit, they don't understand why they're not getting offered a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can figure out your role in making that night lucrative, the night that you're gigging at, if you can help that mm-hmm. venue become lucrative, they will bring you back 100%. Right. Um. Know how to talk to sound people. Yes. Know how to run your own sound if it's a venue where they're going to expect you to run your own sound. Um, I just want to circle back for one, and then you keep going yeah. on. But knowing how to talk to sound people, like if you are working with a sound person, the first thing you do is go and make friends with them. Do not go and uh, be an asshole to the sound person yeah. because they will make your night hell. They, will. they have the capability they will. to do so. And this is where it takes a little emotional intelligence too, because let's just face it, yeah. when you're still in like coffee shop pub land, you're going to get sound people that don't know what the fuck they're doing. And yep. they're going to be drunk and they're going to be high and they're going to be like, let's just call it like it is. You still have to manage that person in a way where they feel that you understand that they think they're important. Yeah. Which they are as humans. And I mean, you will, and then be encouraged that this is just, you don't have to put up with that long-term and I'm not, you know, you can say, well, you know, I wanted to gig at this place. Venue asks you back and you say, venue, I would love. I know we brought in so many good, you know, so much good revenue for that night. It was great to see, Mm -hmm. you know, a packed out house. I got to be honest with you. So and who was drunk at the wheel, man. They were drunk at the knobs, drunk at the faders. (laughs) And, um, and I, I'm wondering if we can figure out either, a higher pay rate for me to bring in a sound person, like how much, Mm -hmm. you know, or if we can not have that sound person work on this night. Like when you, cause again, this is the business aspect. When you are a value add to the venue, Mm -hmm. they want you back because they make more Mm -hmm. money when you bring your audience. So you will have a little bit of, of clout there. If you're making the venue good money. Um, So back to the time management, don't, you know, I know that we would love to believe that artists just pour hours and hours and hours over songwriting and practicing and all of this. But you know what? You need to spend some hours intentionally every week figuring out what your marketing strategy is and what your marketing plan is. And then you're going to have different campaigns for each thing that you're trying to sell. So your overall marketing strategy obviously is getting your name out there, but really specific, right? I want to have 500 people in the Los Angeles area know my name and the kind of music I sing by December 2023, yeah. Okay, great. That's amazing. How are we going to do that? Well, I'm going to do three campaigns. I'm going to do a social media blitz where I am, and then I'm going to figure out the tactics for that. I'm going to take little clips and make, you know, vertical video. And then I'm going to do um, pictures of my lyrics. And then in the blurb, like talk about how I wrote that one line of the lyric. And and then another uh-huh. campaign I'm going to do is I'm going to go on a coffee shop tour. And that's what I'm going to call it, the coffee shop tour. And I'm going to put it up on my website. And then I'm going to circle around social media around that. And it's all coffee shops in, you know, Ventura and over here in Thousand Oaks uh-huh. and over here, right up wherever. And then, um, you know, my third campaign is that I'm going to stand on a street corner with a sign that says, check out so-and-so music. You know, I don't care what your campaign is, Uh Uh, but know that part of your time is going to be that, is that marketing and that branding. Um, 
the other thing, because you said, well, what else? The way you worded the question, I should have written it down. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was just talking about when you're doing it all for yourself, mm. um, we come up against some different challenges than when we are like a labeled artist. Yeah. And, so, yes. and just talking about the challenges and how to navigate So them. time management, number one, n- understanding your own capacity. Uh, yeah. So that when you are doing everything, because here, let's also call this like it is when you're at this level and you're, you're also having a job. Yeah. And, and if you think that it's selling out. To, unless you're independently wealthy. Yeah, unless you're independently wealthy. <laughs> but if you think it's selling out to like make money at a job while you're building your artist career, that is also a very foolish pr- perspective because mm-hmm. your Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and shelter and water have mm-hmm. to be taken care of in order for you to be a creative being. Like you literally will not be able to continue to produce your art if you are don't have your basics taken right. care of. Um, and I know we hear stories about people who like did it through the poverty, but that's a glorification of something that is mostly not true. That is actually mm-hmm. mostly not how it happens. And at, at best is the hardest possible way to make it at happen. Best. Even if there is truth in it, it, yeah. it is the hardest possible way to mm-hmm. walk that road. Yeah. I would say um, I am never in judgment of anyone who wants to recreationally enjoy substances. Right. I think you do you. But when it comes to capacity, these things reduce your capacity. Yeah. They reduce your decision-making skills. They reduce, they increase the amount of time you need physical rest in order to get it out of your systems and all of this. So it's just, just be calculated about it. Be intentional about it. When you know you're going to do a little partying, when you know you're going to stay up too late, don't try to plan like a major songwriting session the next day like that's just dumb dumb sugar plum you know like yeah be thoughtful about how you're using your time um another challenge is well like get the job get the job if money is tight Mm -hmm. get the job I don't care if it's McDonald's I don't care Mm -hmm. if it's Tom Horton's I don't care get the job Mm -hmm. And take care of your financial needs. Um, other challenges, the people don't get it. People don't get what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They're like, what the heck? Why aren't you a lawyer or a doctor or something, air quotes, stable? And yeah. so surround <laughs> yourself with people who understand what it's like to be a gigging artist and what it's yeah. like to create the brand. This is actually where it can be helpful to think of yourself like a business because then you can look at these people and be like, do you know that most small businesses take five to seven years to even get established? Uh And I'm on year three of trying to be established as an artist. So I think I'm fine. Yeah. You know, it's the overnight success that takes 25 years kind of thing. You know, everyone (laughs) thinks like, oh, this will be fast. It's like, no, building a business is not fast. And you are a business. You're a brand. You have to go from like your friends knowing you to strangers knowing you. That takes time. Yep. So don't even, I'd say fund that some other way, you know, doing what you need to do, getting that name out. And don't even worry about it for at least five years in terms of like, is this failing or succeeding? If you've put together some wise structures around yourself, you know, when you're intentional Mm -hmm. about it, can't sit on your butt and Mm -hmm. wonder why it didn't work in five years. It didn't work because you were on your butt. Fair. (laughs) Yes. And I think that, I think that piece is really, um, common with artists Mm. 
um, that, uh, I mean, there's the old saying, uh, failure to plan is to plan to yeah, fail. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we do, we spend a lot of time developing our artistry and a lot of us, um, I'm just talking about artists as a, as a whole population. Yeah. Um, there's not the same kind of um, intentionality put into um, building a plan, building, building some marketing, building set, like, how am I going to get from A to B? Because hopes and prayers aren't going to do it. Yeah. You know, you, you bring up such a great point around, I mean, I think part of it is the way our brains work. I think there's also a Uh lot of neurodivergence in artists in general. Uh, Yes. Um, yeah. And so, and I say that as a person with neurodivergence, so it's, Uh I think that there's a misunderstanding about what planning is too. I think people don't actually know how to plan. Again, oh, this kind of goes back to the project management and the challenges, right? Is like planning is a skill. You did not pop Mm -hmm. out of your mama knowing how to plan. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to learn how to do that. You have to learn what works for you and what kind of systems work for you to plan. But all a plan is, is it's step, it's can be a checklist. A plan can be a checklist. And it's just thinking through what do I have to do? And if you're constantly asking, if you're constantly saying, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's two things going on. I think one of them is practical. You just need more knowledge, Mm -hmm. information, and then you need application. And that's very practical. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, I don't believe you. I think you do need, (laughs) I think you do know what you need. Yeah. And you are either fearful of it or you are worried you're going to do it wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you know what you need and you are not afraid to do it wrong, then you will figure out how to do it right. You will just do it. And then you will be like, oh, I screwed that up. And then you will do it again in a different way. And... Uh, I really don't, I really think a lot of people say, I don't know what to do when what they really mean is I'm worried about the decision I'm about to make. I think that, I I mean, I think this is pervasive in our culture anyway, but I think it's a really um, uh, prevalent thing in artistry that fear of failure is... Like that is front and center, um, I think, for artists. And what we have to do is learn to fail forward. I always ask the artists that I'm working with to define failure. When they say, Mm. well, I might fail. I'm like, okay, what does that actually mean? And a lot of times this goes back to the identity thing. Because, I mean, let's face it, Mm -hmm. especially if you want to be like a recording artist or a performing artist, you've got to have a little bit of narcissism in there, right? You have to want that feedback loop. Why would you do it? I mean, not everybody, but, you know, there's always exceptions to things. But usually when when people say, oh, I'm afraid of failing and and we define what that is, it's, it's I'm afraid what people will think of me. Yeah. And I always go back to this. You did not become an artist. If you only became an artist because you wanted people to like you, you need to do something else mm-hmm. and l- do this as a hobby. And I know that sounds harsh, but like, number one, that. But it's because you haven't figured out that you don't have control over that anyway. Like if you, if your, if your version of failure is I try this real hard and then nobody likes me, that tells me that you want to control how other people feel about you, Mm -hmm. which is always going to be a failure, no matter how successful you may be. So unpack what your fear of failure is. Is it that you're not going to make enough money? Is it that you're not going to be famous enough? Is it because our fears can be a great um, spotlight, shine, flashlight on what we actually have to do 
Yep. They give us a lot of data. <laughs> Fear gives us a lot of good data around where yeah. our actions need to go or or don't go, right? So I'm afraid people won't like me. Okay, well, let's put aside the whole you can't control that anyway. What do you want people to like about you? Well, I want them to like my music. Okay, what do you want them to like about your music? Well, I want them to feel nurtured. Okay, is anything in your brand lining up with being nurturing? What about your brand colors? What about mm. what you're wearing on stage? How about your banter in between sets? How are you nurturing? Now look, now you have, you are doing what you are in control of. And then right. hopefully the icing on the cake will be that people felt communicated to you in a way that you wanted to communicate. But that's the thing you can control. You can't control mm -hmm. other people liking you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for what it's worth, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if you'll have anything to say about this or not. But, Do I ever um, not have something to say? Sarah? I mean, come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think that it's a very fine line between a fear of failure and a fear of success. Mm. Well, yeah. Because if I succeed, then I might fail. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. the, I mean, but that's what, so here's that you want to get real deep. Now we're talking trauma yeah. responses. Yeah. You know, um, which I think, <laughs> gosh, darn diggity dong. <laughs> our trauma is such fodder for the healing that our art provides. Right. Which I which mm -hmm. I hate is the truth, but I mean that is that is why we can be vehicles of emotion for other people is because at some level we are attempting intentionally or not to somehow process <laughs> trauma through our art, whether we realize yep. again whether we realize we're doing that or not, um, and and that authenticity is a vibration in the universe, you know, not to get overly woo about it, but that that's people feel the energy shift when they know you are uh -huh. speaking or singing or performing a truthfulness, a universal truth or a truth that they have. Um so it's it's interesting to think about that fear of success because what does that come with? People won't like me. I mean, it's the same problem, right? What what happens if you are successful? I won't know how to handle the mess. Like, what what are the things you feel or you fear about being successful? Well, I mean, to me, that there's definitely been both sides of that yeah, coin. I'm I'm, I'm very aware that the fear of success has been absolutely as prevalent as the fear of failure, and to me, it's because the success comes with, um a shit ton of responsibility. Yeah. And so is responsibility it is. framed for you at like has you have you been taught responsibility is a heavy thing? Yeah. yeah. That's that's how it has felt for me. I have been um well now we're going to have therapy <laughs> here on the podcast. But yes, so for me in my life sh short uh, just the the short version, I have felt um uh an imbalance of like a, just a lot of responsibility for most of my life, a heavy burden of responsibility for most of my life yeah. um, since childhood. So that's, yes, the fear of responsibility is a very heavy thing for me. Yeah. It's in that so interesting. I often, you're not the first person that has said that in response to that uh -huh. question when when I'm working with folks. And I like to point out, but you're already responsible for all the good. Like uh -huh. you, you look at what you've created. You are responsible for this podcast. You are responsible for the joy that you're bringing to your clients. You are responsible for this new adventure we were just speaking of off- Hey, yes, that's yes. a, a lucrative and putting you in a very uh, nice position. You know, you yeah. are responsible for all that good. So what would happen if 
you got to be responsible for more of that good. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I feel like, I mean, doing a lot of work in therapy. I mean, that's honest, right. And so I feel like, like that, that is shifting for me. That doesn't feel as heavy as it used to. But I think when I was younger and wanted to be pursuing like a recording career and yeah. uh, that kind of uh, level of visibility as an artist, um, that was a lot more prevalent, that it was equally enticing and terrifying. Yeah. Well, I know when... Because of that. I know when I answer that question, you said visibility. I know when I ask, answer that, what are you afraid of succeed? Like, what makes you afraid of success? Is I, I'm a very... I have no problem talking to anyone. I get a lot of energy from this. I I am an ambivert in introvert extrovert. Uh-huh. But I, ah, I me too. Yeah, I <laughs> I love stuff like this. I love speaking in groups, you know, all of the things, but I get vulnerability hangovers real quick. And I get yeah. visibility hangovers. When I put myself out there, I feel in my body and in my mind mm. very tired and very, very tender. And so to me, you know, while I love doing it and I'm and I'm glad to do it, I've had to learn that I need a few days. I mean, it's no coincidence for the listeners mm-hmm. out there. It's no coincidence that I booked this on a Friday to talk with you mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to be sharing my thoughts and my brain and my mind and thinking and conversing. And I love this so much. And also I'm going to be fucking exhausted for two days after. I so get that. You know, and it's this idea where, but now I can do it more. And I think that's what's happening for you too, is what I'm hearing you say in between the lines is like, now that I know that that's what I'm afraid of in the success, I can manage that. Because my exhaustion and, you know, your weight of responsibility, those, and whoever's listening, whatever your fear of success yeah. is it's those things aren't things that are going to go away those are mm-hmm. things that you learn to manage so mm-hmm. they become more familiar and you get to a place where you're like oh i know how to deal with this i hate having to deal with it but i know what i'm doing when it comes to this thought i know yeah. what i'm doing when it comes to this lim- limiting belief and um that could be another thing to think about with artists and challenges is there's so many limiting beliefs that come through when you're still working out your Mm -hmm. artistry and you're still thinking about your career and all of that. And just like, give yourself a break that you don't have to solve. Like don't, don't try to solve everything. Just manage it, you know? And I mean, hey, I know a lot of people like cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that's a power, power, powerful modality. You know, mm-hmm. so is like acceptance and commitment therapy. <laughs> like where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I accept that this thing is, and then I'm going to commit to the, you know all of this. But yeah. um, I I I know that seems kind of off topic for like entrepreneurship and business ownership, and yeah, it is, but, it but it's and not. It it's it's the meat of it. It's how do you handle yeah, yourself? How yeah. do you, how do you handle your, I'm pointing at my brain because the podcast, <laughs> but like, how do you handle what's in this, in this brain? Because that is what makes you the artist. It's not your larynx. Yeah. It's not your fingers on the guitar. It's not your, you know, four limbs playing the drums. It is your brain yeah. that makes you the artist. So you got to take care of it. Yeah. And so that actually kind of comes into it. It's a different point, but I feel like it's so related. And that is, so there are times where we have to set boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> as artists that can be very uncomfortable yeah. about like how we are treated. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those boundaries mean that we don't get the gig or we lose money or we, you know, 
And yet the sort of that, that grit and the perseverance to change the way that we're treated is a really necessary piece of growth within our artistry and the growth of us as a business. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's so, I know it's a big one. That's like a whole other series of podcasts. Um, (laughs) So I, I read, did I read this or I heard this? I don't know. I was having some conversation because I recently read a couple or wrote a couple blogs around boundaries, like what boundaries were and stuff. Yeah. And someone, someone I came across in this research and talking about it, because it's also a module in one of the programs that we do is like literally just teaching people how to, what boundaries are and how to have them yeah. as artists and as creative business owners or business owners in creative spaces and it's this idea that the boundary isn't the boundary is how you respond to when someone bumps against it. It's not the actual thing that they bumped against. Yes. And I think this is such a cool way to think about it. So let's say it's a boundary around the way someone's speaking to you. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to, nobody knows how to treat you before you let them know how to treat you. Mm-hmm. It is very easy to have a boundary. It is very difficult to enforce a boundary. <laughs> yes. So there's where we go to like emotional intelligence and scripts, right? And someone kind of sasses at you or yells at you. The first thing is your lizard brain is probably going to want to like flip them off and you're going to get defensive and angry. But you Mm got to remember that's your lizard brain. That's your first gut response. You you step away. You take a little break, five seconds even. Mm -hmm. And you respond with either a question to help give them an opportunity to clarify what they're really trying to communicate. Or um, I... You acknowledge what you see in their behavior or it feels like Mm -hmm. you're angry. When you're angry, I will not be spoken to in that way. Mm -hmm. And just let it sit. And chances are because they're angry and they obviously couldn't keep themselves together, they're not going to respond kindly to that. But you've got to like Mm -hmm. know it and be like, just... You don't have to – being defensive back and yelling at someone about how to treat you is not a boundary. No. That's not a boundary. No. So learn learn to self-regulate. Learn mm-hmm. to self-regulate and to kind of feel that sting of the defensiveness and that, oh, my God, that person spoke to me that way. And, like, and then how to respond from a place of uh, power but not mm-hmm. – not stomping power, like groundedness. Yeah. Um, as long as you are physically safe, obviously. We're I'm just I'm assuming yes. that this is a relative a physically safe situation. Um well the the one that really comes to mind for me, and it's funny because I see it, I actually it's it's less that I see it um in working bands in Vancouver and more that I see it like in online spaces, mm. people talking about their working situations in other cities. I'm sure it happens here as well. Sure. But things like, you know, and it's typically female singers, although, again, I'm vastly generalizing when I say sure. that. But where um, they are, there's perhaps there's been an illness issue and they are saying, I can't come to the gig and this is for everybody's safety. And there's pushback from the band leader saying, no, you need to show up um, or you're going to screw us all or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. It's like that kind of stuff where boundaries are not being respected. And there's that fear of like losing the money and losing future work. If you stick to your boundary, you know, stick to your guns and say, no, I'm not doing this because I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think unpacking that, so that to me, that's a case by case. Because Mm -hmm. I think you have to, 
you do have to take into account all those other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be realistic about when you take it into account. So there's a difference between if I don't show up to this gig, I'm not going to get hired again, being a true statement. Uh-huh. And if I don't show up for this gig, I'm not going to get hired again, being a little bit drama, drama, llama, llama. Yes. Right? Agreed. And you have to be able to parse out, which is true. Like, is it true that I will not get hired again if I take care of myself? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, then you have a new decision to make. Is this mm-hmm. worth it for me? Mm-hmm. And I like to talk about that concept of like the velvet rope boundaries versus the brick wall boundary, right? Mm. And a velvet rope is there, you can move a velvet rope. Yeah. So if you have a general boundary of not singing when you're sick, Mm -hmm. there might be some times where you're getting pushback. This is a really important gig. They're, they're your longtime bandmates. They've been trying to get this gig for six years or something. And you say, okay, I hear you. I am really sick. So what are we going to do together to make sure that I can get through this gig and not make all of you sick? Mm-hmm. So normally we do sets, uh, 45 minute sets, and I sing six out of nine songs. We're mm-hmm. going to have to make that four out of nine songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to do any banter. So bass player, you're going to have to take over the banter. You know, like that's about relationship building and solving a problem together. We're going to wear, I'm going to wear masks. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to do any merch selling. I'm not going to talk in between sets. I'm going to go back and right. Like then you have to figure out how to solve the problem. If it's like some yo-yo who's going to pay you 50 bucks and he's just trying to strong arm you because he's a jerk. Yeah. And be like, I can tell you're really upset. And also, it is not okay for me to put my long-term health, mm-hmm. your long-term health, and my long-term moneymaker, I'm pointing out my learn, mm-hmm. my long-term moneymaker at risk for this gig. And I appreciate that this is angering and frustrating, but you don't need to blame me for taking care of myself. Like you can handle that any way you want, but that's why you have to be able to say, where is my actual boundary? Yeah. You know, when it's money stuff, I think that's learning negotiation skills, (laughs) you know, and, and then this is, this is sales in general, you know, you, in order to sell a high quality product, you have to be willing to lose sales, which means in order to book high quality gigs, you have to be willing to say no to low quality gigs. Yep. Because the person booking the high quality gig isn't going to look at your gig sheet and be like, oh, they always take the gigs at like the not so great places. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think about in terms of knowing what the gig is for. So, Mm-hmm. Are you, you're like you're like familiar with like whiskey a go go and like that kind of stuff in LA those clubs where they're mm-hmm. pay to play yeah. right so they're really really popular famous Carnegie Hall right it's right. this idea that if you play there the lay audience member is going to think you are fancy <laughs> well yeah and it, it's going to cost you some money. And it's not mm-hmm. like they are literally leveraging the fact that they're Whiskey Go-Go, right? Like they're literally leveraging mm-hmm. the fact that they're Carnegie Hall. So you are going to pay money in order to be allowed to use their brand in order to promote your fanciness. Right. That is probably, depending on your goals, not the best place to assert your boundaries around getting paid. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Because yes. you know what you're buying yes. into. You are buying into leveraging their brand to make you look fancy so that it looked like you got a really good gig. Yeah. You know, hard rock is, can be the same depending on what city you're in. So, um, but if it's like a small time little place and they're like a wine bar down the street and they are like... Oh, we'd love to have you play. We have like a little stage in the corner. We can like give you tips. (laughs) Then that is a time when you can be like, "Um, I'm actually making your place more valuable. So maybe you're, maybe we're unclear about the role of this gig in both of our businesses, in both of our stories. So for me, the role of this gig is to help your venue make money and to have a location that I can share my art um, for people in a, in a public space. For you, the goal of the gig is to bring in some cash, sell, sell some more wine, have happy customers that are really enjoying the music. So they stay longer and, and spend more money, spend more right? money. Like, so <laughs> can we, we'll need to come up with an amount that will honor that goal for both of us. Yeah. And then maybe for the next gig, we can see how it goes and we can maybe figure that out later. But I'm happy to take the tips and let's work out what's going to be a good number for both of us. Yeah. You know, because some, uh, sometimes the venue owners don't even know what they're doing because they just think, oh, I yeah. have a restaurant. I have a wine bar. I have a thing. Wouldn't it be fun to have music? And they don't even have an ASCAP. You know, they don't, they don't even know that they have to have an ASCAP. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, it's. Um, and, and they do not understand that doing it for the publicity is they, not a thing. No, they don't get it. And you have to tell them that <laughs> because they don't, because yeah. where are they getting their information? Like they're getting their information through media. They're getting their information through maybe fellow venue owners, you know, mm-hmm. they're making it up. They they went into the business that they went into because that's what they wanted to be good at. They didn't want to be good at being an artist. Mm-hmm. So they're they're of course gonna try to like, you know, exposure bucks. Yeah. And I mean, I have said to a venue before, like, I'm so grateful that you would like to give me, you know, an opportunity to mm-hmm. to create a larger audience. You're telling me that it's great exposure, but when I go look at your social media, you can flip the you can flip the table there. When I go look yeah. at your social media, when I go look and see how you market the artists, when I go and I see what kind of exposure you say you're going to pay me in, I don't see a return on investment. So I'm going to have to do yeah. this. Yeah. Because that's if, that's a super valuable perspective, I think. Everybody wants to look at our numbers and see how much money we're going to make them. But if you're if you're offering to pay me an exposure, then you better fucking expose Flipping me. Flipping the script like that, yeah. And that's why I say sometimes it's a good deal. Like there, there is this great place. I used to live in Silicon Valley, and I can't remember the name of it right now. But there was a big kind of like in the Santa Cruz mountains, shoot winery. And they had a stage and a big stage. Right. And they would often have touring artists come in, um, kind of like a casino would and everything. Gosh, I feel so stupid for not being able to remember the name of this place. But I remember that like local artists would be invited to play there and it was Mm -hmm. shit pay, you know, I mean, it was a couple Mm -hmm. thousand bucks, but like for a band of seven, like that shit pay. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But these people would have, I mean, this winery would like pack out houses, you know, and it was beautiful amphitheater and they had, you know, great wine and nosh and like members, you know, they had like a members packet, you know, it was great. It was such a great business model. And people would get all up in arms and say, oh, they only want to pay me this and not enough. And I'm like, listen, I get that they are underpaying, but like that's a 500 person I think it was like 500 mm-hmm. per, I've got to check. Fact check me on this. But it was, a, it was not a <laughs> shitty gig. You were not going to have yeah. like a room of 20 people. You were going to have a nice chunk of people. So I'm like, yeah, 
make sure your merch is all stacked up. Make sure your banter has a lot about where to find you and what to do. Like that's a great opportunity and you're getting yeah handed over a couple bucks to at least break even. Yeah. You know, that fine. But you have to be that's the business side of it, right? It's like sometimes it's okay to p- get paid in exposure bucks because the exposure is actually bucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. Well, is there anything else that you see missed or misunderstood by artists or Anything we haven't talked about today that you think just is really important for artists to know? That you can do this. You can do this. It is hard. And Mm -hmm. you can do this. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about today. <laughs> we talked a lot about kind of the, the uh-ohs and the watch-outs and the what-ifs, you know. But at the end of the day, just keep doing it. If you want to uh-huh. do this, just keep going. You'll learn. You'll figure it out. Uh-huh. The universe is conspiring for you. Yeah. Trust it. Yeah. Well, Michelle... Where can people find you? Web, socials, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. On the internet. Uh, so <laughs> Instagram, I'm, I'm an old person, so I do Instagram and Facebook right now, even though my marketing team is like, you must do the other things. I do have a YouTube channel, <laughs> but, you know, it's we're going to work on that in 2023. Uh, Instagram is the Speakeasy Cooperative. That's the handle. And yes. then Facebook is being a butthead. So we have at Faith Culture Kiss Studio for voice and acting, colon, home of the speakeasy cooperative. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Facebook. And then just you know, come to the website, the speakeasy cooperative.com. I'm sure you'll put that in show notes. And like, Yes, I'll put it all in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, you know, send us a form on the contact page, you know, drop us a DM on the page or in the IG and DMs. Uh, come and comment, follow, and share your opinion. You know, we, um, yeah. with the speakeasy cooperative, which is the main thing that we get to, you and I get to interact in. Yeah. You know, right now we're like, we really would love to have more artists perspectives because you bring so much to the table. We have, we have so many singer songwriters there already. Mm -hmm. And it's so great. I love having more feet on the ground artists in addition to kind of the teachers and the body workers and the other adjacent businesses as well. Um, So just come and then you can always email me. I mean, honestly, we, we have our email locked down, per, you know, pretty good. So you'll have to wait for a response. But I mean, it's literally hey at faithculturekiss.com, <laughs> you know, because that's another thing we haven't transferred over yet. <laughs> and I just have to say, like, the Speakeasy Cooperative is a fantastic place it is a, a great community and there's tons of knowledge. And I have, I've told you this before, Michelle, but I have been part of, you know, places where it's, oh, sure, come and be part of the community. Mm. And I have not engaged in the community part of it at mm. all. And that is not the case in Seco at all. Like it is a very, um, the community aspect of it really is a big deal and people are incredibly supportive of each other, incredibly willing to share knowledge. Like it is not, um, I don't know. Sometimes you end up in communities where people are, they really want to keep their knowledge close to the chest and they mindset. Yeah. (laughs) And that is not how this functions. It is a very generous community. So if you, you know, listeners out there, I, I suggest you check it out. And would you like to talk at all about any programs that you have? Coming oh, up? you're so good, Sarah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, we were talking about this off, off recording, but yeah, we are getting ready to open the doors for applications to our, how to run your biz without hiding your boss 10 month accelerator program. So this program is designed to take business owners through whether you've been in business for a while and you're doing like a new revenue stream or you're revamping your business or your brand new business, it kind of sets the stage for all of the areas of business that a person would need to get their mind around in order to build the foundations and create the business that will bring them the most revenue hopefully in the most efficient manner. And something that's really different about this program is I don't do systems. So you've probably noticed this in Seco, but I don't, I don't sell a system. I don't have like uh-huh. the Marquardt DeVoe system or anything like that. <laughs> I, I'm very much like, here are a bunch of different business models. Here's the way that business models work. Here's how blah, uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. Let's decide what yours is going to be. And we go through these uh-huh. major principles. I try to make it a little like MBA light so that it's enough information Uh that you don't just get that information for this particular business idea you're going to work on in the program. But we Uh write the workbooks and we structure the curriculum that you could literally do it with any business. We just happen to be focused on artists. But if you wanted to use the same information and the same workbooks and figure out another revenue stream or another business... We are very interested in making sure that people can do that. So it's kind of fun. We had some singer-songwriters in there already. We've had web designers. We've had body workers and voice teachers and so many Mm -hmm. podcasters, so many cool people. And so I'm really excited when we open the doors for applications for that. If that sounds something like something that would be just right what you need, that high-level support with the education, hit us up. Awesome. Awesome. When do the doors open for that? Or when does the program kick off? Well, the program kicks off on April 4th. That will be our first Tuesday. So it is on Tuesdays. Okay. Um, but we will start selling that. We're cleaning up the sales page right yes, now. Yes, yes. We'll probably start selling that uh, the week of the 20th of February. Okay. Um. And then I'll be doing, because we do applications and interviews, so we'll be going through all of that. We want to make sure it's the right fit at the right time for the right mm-hmm. people um, as we put together the cohort, because it is a cohort. You you become mm-hmm. friends real fast, <laughs> whether you like it or yeah. not. Shared trauma. <laughs> so, and then, um, yeah, and it runs through January 2024. So... It is there to hold your hand every step of the way and give you the information and the application that you would need to do some awesome things with your career and your business. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle. This has been awesome. I have really, really enjoyed this. We went longer than I usually do because I just, this has been a great conversation. Well, I appreciate you listening (laughs) to me and giving me space to kind of wax eloquent. You are a joy and I'm so glad that we're getting to know each other. Thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity. Ah, well, me too. I will, uh, we will see you again. Bye. Bye.